aware of everything going on out there. It's been a tough night for him because he's been under siege at times, but makes a good save there. Nick Paul takes that puck off the draw, works it down the ice, leaves it for Stankos, in, shoots, scores! Save it, Stankos! Hey now. Hey now. What is up? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. It is the Sportscasters. My name is Steve Bennett. Great show for you today. Interviews with Greg Wyshynski, formerly the Puck Daddy. Uh, now the guy running the world at ESPN. The hockey world, that is. And an author named Christopher Price, who also works for the Boston Globe. Uh, he wrote a book called Bleeding Green, A History of the Hartford Whalers. And he's on the program to discuss that book as well. We'll have one last thing. And then something special. Excuse me, we'll have the book club. And then something special for one last thing today. Instead of me babbling about something. Uh, those of you who have a, a child now know about this new tradition called Elf in the Shelf. We didn't have it when I was a kid, but it's big now, and Paula has an elf, and the elf's name is Matilda, and the elf returned the day after Thanksgiving, and the second day she was here, she sat where Paula records when we podcast, uh, signaling that she wanted Paula to podcast, so Paula and I recorded a brief daddy-daughter podcast, and that will be one last thing. I will play that in its entirety, and I think people who enjoy Paula will enjoy that. And if you don't enjoy Paula, as Jeff Perlman once told me, nobody cares about your kids, uh, that it's at the end. No big deal. No hard feelings. You don't have to listen to it. A uh, quick uh, couple things before we get started. First of all, the World Cup is soul-crushing. It's awful to watch. There's been a lot of nil-nil games. It hasn't been the best World Cup. And my team isn't in it. It's a disgrace they're not in it. It's their fault. It's FIFA's fault. It's UEFA's fault. Of course, it's their fault first. You got to make your kicks. You got to win your games. You got to score your goals. You got to qualify. There's no excuse for it. Um, and just like there's no excuse for a system to be in place uh, that could allow the number six team in the world and the European champions not to qualify. Um, so no excuse for Italy. No excuse for UEFA for our FIFA. No excuse for this tournament to be in Qatar. No excuse for Iran to be a part of it. Um. And, and it hasn't been great yet. Uh, like I said, a lot of nil-nil games. Um, we'll see as today the third day, the third game of group play begins. Senegal has, and Netherlands have officially qualified for the round of 16. Other teams already have mathematically. Uh, but, you know, the first group has been completed and Netherlands tops it. Senegal second, eliminating Qatar who was eliminated, it seemed like, before the thing started, uh, and Ecuador. So goodbye to those teams. Uh, later we'll find out who advances in the U.S., Iran, England, and Wales group, and we'll go from there. Uh, as for what I've watched so far, a novice fan. I think France looks very impressive. I think Spain is impressive. Um, I'm disappointed in Argentina, disappointed in Germany. 
And Brazil, I would say, is still the favorite. Uh, Switzerland did exactly what they did to Italy in qualifying to Brazil yesterday. But Brazil was able to score at the end, whereas Italy was able to draw two penalties in the games and Jorginho missed them. Um, Brazil was able to draw a chance late and it was expertly finished. Beautiful. So that's the World Cup. Uh, The Saints were shut out last weekend for the first time in 332 games. It's my most hated Saints team since 1991. Let's put it this way. It's the worst Saints team since the 1999 Mike Dicka version. And it's my most hated team since 2014. But at least that team had Drew Brees, right? There was something redeemable about it. There's nothing redeemable about this team. They're mediocre. And to make it worse, they're penalized all the time. They turn the ball over all the time. They shoot themselves in the foot. Dennis Allen's a disaster. And uh, they don't have a first-round pick. So things are going beautifully uh, with the Saints. Went to the Sabres game last night. Actually went to the last two home games. Uh, the Devils game with my brothers and the game last night with Paula and Tammy and my dad. And it was a good game. Sabres lost 6-5 in overtime. Played the overtime winner there. Uh, tough lesson to learn last night for the young Sabres. I had a 5-3 lead with five minutes to go at home. You got to win that game. Only got one point. I think they're 9-12-1 now. So 9-13, something like that. They do have a plus-two goal differential. Um, and they're fun to watch. They're fast. There's reasons to be happy with them, I suppose. But they got to start winning some games. And they got to start winning some games quickly. Uh, or this is going to be over, a wrap totally, by January again. Uh, and I don't think they want that to happen. Like, there's other teams right now who are in a similar position in the standings. Teams that had Stanley Cup dreams like Florida and Carolina, Calgary. Uh, but my guess is those teams are going to emerge slowly and build, 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 and eventually settle into playoff spots and make playoff runs. The Sabres team seems destined to go the other way, and that's what they need to fight. They need to learn now early, and then instead of waiting till February when nothing matters anymore to go on a great 20-game run time the season, they go on a great 20-game run now to make the games in March and February at least meaningful. I'm not saying that to make the playoffs, uh, but it's going to be a long year if it's going to be over by January again. Uh, geez, what else? If there is anything else, I don't think so. Let's get to it. I've been meaning to post this show for a while. It's on me. Apologize. Apologies to Washinsky and to Price for not getting it up sooner. We had huge snow issues here in Buffalo, which kind of cut out a few days as we didn't have internet. And uh, then there was the Thanksgiving holiday. It just it got to a point where I couldn't get in here. Uh, but I'm here now, and the show's going up. So let's get it started. We'll take a break, and we will be right back with Greg Wyshynski. Our first guest today is from New Jersey, a Devils fan living on top of the world right now, a graduate of Maryland, and the guest on the second episode ever. The Sportscasters back in 2011. A warm Sportscasters welcome to Greg Wyshynski. Hey, Greg, what's up, buddy? Nothing much. Uh, in- enjoying uh, a walking wild season so far. Um, <laughs> 
in in every sport. I mean, obviously, you yeah. know, as everyone knows, you're New York Jets, Jets fan. Right? Yeah, you're Jets. You know, well. So things are going well. I mean, you're not not well between you and I. Well, uh, well I'm not a Bills fan, week. luckily. I I'm a Saints fan, so I do love the Sabers, how, but not the oh, Bills. How? How the hell did that happen? Well, it's funny. It's a good hockey story because it happened because of the Sabres. So when I was very young, very young, all I cared about was hockey and wrestling. Only things that mattered to me in life. And um, I think I was about, it was 1985-ish, and um, it was a Sunday afternoon, and the Sabres had a day preseason game in Minnesota versus the North Stars. And it was a split squad game even. I don't remember which squad the Sabres had that day, but... It was of my uh, understanding that the whole family would be gathering in my bedroom to listen to said game on the radio. Mm. And I was uh, rudely, in my opinion, told by my parents, no, they would be watching the Buffalo Bills game on the television <laughs> in the living room. And if I were to, was going to be watching the Sabres, I'd be on my own. So to which I promptly said, well, fuck the Buffalo Bills. Um, <laughs> I hate them. I hope they lose, uh, which they did to the Dolphins that day. Um, okay. And the great wide receiver for them at the time, Jerry Butler, actually broke his ankle. I had come out of the bedroom uh, to see the game stalled and was in great delight that Jerry Butler had been injured, which I apologized to Jerry about when I saw him mm. years later. Um, mm. And uh, because of that, I hated them. And then by the time my dad could talk me into sitting down for another football game, it was the day of the Saints' first ever playoff game against the Vikings at the mm. end of the strike-shortened 87 season and mm. he was telling me about how they had wore the bags on the hats and everything and how that they were pathetic and this is the first time they're in the playoffs and their coach looked exactly like my grandfather this you know italian guy it was jamora <laughs> at the time and he and the superdome looked really cool and i'm like the second play the 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 dome patrol had a strip sack and then uh bobby abar threw a touchdown to eric martin and the dome just going crazy and i'm like wow football is cool this is awesome and then they lost like 48 to 10 uh, and I just sat there the rest of the day in horror as it just got worse and worse and just fell in love with my team that day. And there, are lo- there there were lots of like back then. I mean, like you had yeah. Craig Ironhead Hayward. You yeah. had Bobby One of my Hebert. first favorites. Yep. The, the, the color scheme of the team Beautiful. was very unique. Yeah, the dome you know, looked amazing they, on TV. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right. and the, yeah. Dome, the, the dome was unique too. And the yeah. fact that it was a pro team in New Orleans like was really, at that point, uh, with the jazz having left uh like a, a pretty unique thing too so i can i could see why why they'd be attractive um but did you but did you ever feel like you made the wrong decision w- during the like jim kelly thurman thomas no and, regime? He, and here's why so a couple years into being a saints fan i went to the saints and bills first time the saints were there saints and bills mm-hmm. game with my dad and it was a, a typical december day in buffalo snowing and all that uh, John Forcade was forced into emergency action for the Saints, and he was an Arena League quarterback. And my dad and all his friends were teasing me the whole day how they had no chance with this Arena League guy, and you know Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas would kick our ass and us. And this was the year of the bickering bill, so they were really an uneven team that year. Um, and uh, I said, no, I think we're going to win, and the Saints did. And so, like about midway through the game, my dad kicked me out of the seats. He said I had to go down like ten rows and sit by myself. He wasn't having mm. me. And uh, as the Saints were kneeling, victory formation, I started to feel something like on my shoulder, you know, on my back. You know, I'm like, what the hell? And I'm like, oh, no, people are throwing snowballs at me. And I, and I said, I'm going to I'm going to tell my dad, you know, my dad is going to. And I looked and, of course, it was my dad and uh, all his friends and all that. So I was like, you know what? I hate them even more. So, no, I have hated the Bills with all my heart. And it's created the dilemma um, because when the Saints won the Super Bowl 
in 2010, January 2010, 2009 season, uh, February 7th. I don't know, I said January. But whatever, when we won the Super Bowl, there was this moment where I'm like looking around in the room and it's just all my friends and family who are all Bills fans and they all have seen Skiron. And they're all right. there like, you know, supporting me and, and rooting for me and, and hoping for me. And, oh, uh, wow. you know, I had just had surgery, uh, one of my many. And uh, like my brother was in charge of making sure I didn't rip the stitches out. You know, he caught me in his arms when Tracy Porter, you know, intercepted that ball. And I kind of <laughs> lost my nerve for a second. And, um, and and it's created this this difficult situation where I so much want to reciprocate that support in their dominance this year and, you know, and, and, their, and how close they got last year. Uh, and it's really difficult because for them it was easy because what do they care about the Saints, right? They have they have no feeling about them. But for me, being the one living in the city, it's been difficult because I grew a real animosity for them for the way I've been treated at the stadium every time I've been there. Um, yeah, the Saints have never lost there. So every time since I've been a fan, they did before when I, before I was born. But um, and they're never nice. It's it's the besides Cleveland, the harshest road stadium I've been to. Now I've never mm. been to Philadelphia or Oakland. You know some of the more notoriously mean ones. Uh, mm. But as of the seven or eight stadiums I've seen the Saints play in that aren't the Superdome, Buffalo and Cleveland are the worst. So it's it's been hard for me. <laughs> I try very hard publicly to be nice about it and to say, especially to my brothers, to my mom, like the really important people, to try to say like, yeah, you know, I hope they get a win today you know like that the Chiefs came last year <laughs> you know like I right. was I was going into the day like hey I think you guys got a chance you know I'm hoping for you you know and then me and my daughter and my wife are just like rooting for the Chiefs so hard behind their backs you know like alone at the house that night you know so mm-hmm. I'm a two-faced jerk but yeah it's yeah. it's difficult you know yeah. the couple years that both teams were really good and people are like oh I think it's gonna be Saints and Bills in the Super Bowl I was like, nothing sounds more lonely to me than that. <laughs> you know, like I can't think of another thing that would be more horrible in my life because it's bad enough when they play a meaningless regular season game. Uh, yeah. Which essentially they are. But um, anyway, uh, as for the Sabres, I guess since we're talking about the Bills, we can talk about the Sabres to me. And very quickly, I went from optimistic about the 2022-23 Sabres to feeling like they're dead to me because – you can't let you just cannot let that little piss pot come in here and do what he did to us. And I mean, <laughs> and it was in typical Jack Eichel fashion. I mean, come on, the one goal is like a tap in, you know. And then he's so anxious to get the hat trick, he's shooting it two hundred feet down the ice, blind, you know, like with a second left, and then you know, acting like he's, uh, you know, he had just walked all five guys to score the hat trick, and he's just such a punk. But just that they let the, that they let him do that to to us, I, I don't know if I can ever forgive them. Um, <laughs> but uh, they 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 just seem to stink again. I mean, they've lost five games in a row. I, I know they're better. You know, I got in this big argument with Mike Harrington over the weekend because he's just so sure that it's not a big deal they lost at home to Arizona. You know, he says it's a football mentality to be mad about that. I'm just like, you know, the way the schedule was, you know, you knew you had the tough games before, the tough games after. Just felt like that was a must game, and they just couldn't rise to the occasion in any way. I mean, that was one of their worst games of the season. I know they're better, but I'm frustrated with them already, so I guess I just want you to tell me, where do you think they stand? Are they further ahead than you thought, further behind than you thought? Are they? Do you think that they're going to play a meaningful game at all in 2023, or do you think they'll be done already by then, like normal? Or, or where do you stand on this, the, the Sabres? We'll do it quick, and we'll move on. 
Well, I, I, I stay on the fact that, that some of their underlying numbers have remained pretty good. I mean, they're getting their the majority of, of shots. The, their expected goals aren't underwater uh, quite yet at five on five, which is encouraging. And, you know, there have obviously been some some things that have happened this season that point to a, a bright future. I mean, the Tage Thompson investment looks like it's a great one for them. Yeah. Um, which we, we've talked about before how that that uh, his emergence as a, as a as a top line player has really taken the the uh, venom uh, and, the t- and the toxicity out of one of the more regrettable transactions in in team history. Yeah, it's no longer regrettable, right? Right, I mean, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, that, yeah. that makes you feel good. Yeah. Um, and then obviously the Rasmus Dahlin, uh season so far has been great. I mean, it's the elevation of a guy to star status. We had our first NHL awards watch um, last month at the end of last month, and he was the clear favorite for the Norris based on how he has played. And 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 the most impressive thing for me about him is that he's been able to continue to have a strong season with a couple of different partners, which is what you want to see from your, your right. best defenseman. You don't yeah. want him to be reliant on one guy. Um, you know, like like not to besmirch the guy, but like kind of like how Aaron Aaron Ekblad was reliant on. Mackenzie Weger or or that kind of thing. Um, so th- that's an impressive too. But the frustrating part for them is that they got off to this great start. It continued on through the end of October. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe they're not going to have the same script that they've had for the last several seasons. And lo and behold, the wheels right fall off it. and they lose yeah. a bunch of games in a row. Yeah. It just happened It happened later than it usually does. And, right. and so it, it, it drives you insane because like you're, you're like, okay, there's all this forward momentum. They're playing well. They've gotten good performances out of people. Overall, it's, it's been a pretty solid season so far. And then it, they just fall back into that, into that abyss and, and they can't climb out of it. So they needed to keep pace. They, they needed to not kind of fall apart. It's a very tough division, not only with the, the usual powers at the top of the standings, um, but also with emergent team, an emergent team in, in Detroit, uh, so it's it's really not the time to have things fall apart, and it looks like it's just happening again for them. Yeah, and you mentioned Darlene and his different partners, and if I want to make an excuse for them, the one would be that they were very quickly down three starting defensemen. Right. You yeah, know what exactly. I mean? Very quickly, and that's it's tough to because it happened like it was like the 2006 Eastern Conference Finals again. You know, it seemed yeah. like every single game <laughs> they won, they're they're winning the game but losing a defenseman which was the case in that series against Carolina. Win a game, lose a defenseman all three times. Right. Um, and it just felt like that again. So I, I'll give them that and um, and say that, you know, because I think Samuelson was skating. Today he seems ahead of schedule, uh, which is good news. You know, uh, Joker seems to be just about back. So, I, like, I can give him that. The, the thing going into the season that frustrated me is there was this just – there were certain teams I felt that we were in this rebuild together that everyone just wanted to say – we're better than us. You know what I mean? And I felt like we needed to fight back against that. You know, yeah. like it was frustrating to me. There's this perception that like Ottawa was going to be better than us. You know what I mean? Or, or maybe even Detroit, even if they were justifiably so, you know, I felt like we've been in this with those teams for so long that we got to fight that perception. We got to be as good or better than some of those teams. And it started that way, you know, um, specifically Detroit. I mean, they, they beat them up really good uh, in a game here. Right. And right, um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And so, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that's part of it. Um, but again, like it's, it's hard to really, I, I know that the Sabres fans are, are so tired of this. And, yeah. That's and, part of the problem. They, Everyone's and, just and, done. And, yeah. It's, yep. it's exhaustion. Mm-hmm. And, and as a Devils fan, like I felt that's that same exhaustion last season when, you know, you come into the year, you're like, okay, on paper, there's, there's some good things potentially happening here. And then 
you know, they lose Bernier to injury and then they lose everybody else to injury. And then all of a sudden it all goes down the toilet again. And then, and then you get this year for the devils and like they're rolling and they look great and, and it feels so good. And, and it makes the, 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 the not anguish, but this, the disappointment of the last few seasons kind of dissipate. And so it's hard again to really like look at the Sabre season and, and be super angry if it doesn't work out. What, what happens if it doesn't work out? Well, you have, you go in power and you have Darlene and you have a good collection of young forwards and you'll probably have one of the top three players in the draft of a, of a, of a draft where, yeah. where there's three great players. And so like, it's hard to really look at the Sabre season and say, okay, well, what a disaster. They're not a playoff team yet. When, when in actuality, like the, the quiet part that we have to maybe say out loud occasionally is like, it would behoove them to suck again this year. Like they're, yeah, they're, but we gotta like, get past real. that like, mentality, though. That's they, gotta they, be they gotta over get past here. That mentality, yeah. but they're not there yet. Like, like Owen Powers a rookie. He's he's clearly going to be a great defenseman. Darlene has now achieved that, where he's going to maybe be uh, leveling up, uh, you know, on a, on an annual basis. Tage, they've got like they've got some pieces now, but like having this franchise incubate for one more year before making that level up is is maybe a good thing. And again, like a lot of it is also on Kevin Adams to realize when the right moment is to level up like it's not it's not a coincidence that the detroit red wings made a leap this year in the same after an offseason where steve eiserman had correctly identified this team as being ready to make the leap and he went out and got david Perron and he went out and got all these veteran guys kubalik and those guys that have made a huge difference on that team so part of it also is 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 kevin adams understanding when this and the money will be ready. there for him, the money will be there for him to do it. You know, they have plenty sure. of money and, to and, spend, and, the, and an owner and who will the flexibility spend it. To, and, yeah, right, and the flexibility too, because like, you know, it'll probably happen within the next year or two. We're, we're Owen Power still on his rookie deal and, and all this other stuff. So like, it's you know, it, it's a matter of 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 patience, and and I know that's not the word anybody in Buffalo wants when it comes to this franchise because they've been patient for since Pagula bought the team for them to make the playoffs again, but. As we've talked about before, like the problem with the Sabres is that they are now on their like third or fourth incarnation of a franchise within the last decade. You know that with the changing of coaches, with the changing of GMs, with the end of the Eichel era, yep. it the sum total of it makes it feel a lot longer than it actually is. No, that's um, right. Be- All that's true, right? So, mm-hmm. so, so I, I think when it comes to this regime and and this era, the post Eichel era. Like a little bit of patience is going to go a long way, and if it doesn't work out this year, that's that's going to be okay. Yeah, and I think I, I don't think I ever went into the season saying for me to be satisfied with them, they need to be a playoff team or anything like that. I knew that that was, you know, in the single digit percent possibility, probably, you know. But I think based on the way they finished the season, and then again the way they started this one, you know, at least there, I, I wish there could be an expectation that you know we could play a game where we're sweating a little bit in February. You know, thinking like, okay, maybe if we win this one tonight against this team, we're only six points out or something, you know, and even if it doesn't work out, at least we were battling at that point, you know, where it always already feels like, man, if you don't get down there by December, you're going to be going down to a half empty place that, you know, is uh, lost of all hope. No, your point, your your point's taken, which is that it's always, it's always good to to be in a position where you're playing relevant games. And, and, you know, that's goes for the same for a lot of teams, Detroit being one of them that are, that are in the league right now trying to level up is that you you don't, you don't want to be the the, the example I always use is the Oilers pre McDavid, right? Like they had all those great young players like Taylor Hall and Nugent Hopkins and, 
and players like that. And and they just would not only not get within sniffing distance of the playoffs, they would be in the basement. And and so it, it didn't do them any good <laughs> to be that bad. Like, yeah, they, they ended up collecting draft picks and, and getting dry side and McDavid. It all worked out in the end. But for the that incarnation of the team, losing and losing and losing and losing um, every season didn't didn't allow them to level up at all. They just stayed bad. But again, the lesson might be stay bad because you'll end up with your generation generational players eventually. Yeah, I mean, I guess you know if if in uh, the, the the summer we're like, oh, thank God we got in that lottery because we got Connor Bedard. I guess maybe I, my attitude will change about this version of the team. You know, yeah, exactly. But, at, right. but at some point, you need to be out of that conversation. You know what I mean? Because I feel like we've had it the last like twenty five lotteries. But anyway, sure. But they're but they're yeah, not. But they might not be good enough to do that yet. Like that's that's part of the issue too. Is that like the, you know. What we saw from them rocking and rolling in October when teams are still trying to figure themselves out and guys are getting into shape and everything else could be the anomaly. And, and this team, on paper, the way it's currently constituted, isn't good enough to challenge for a playoff spot. So it may, it may be hoping for something that's not there yet. Yeah, you could be right. It's interesting, too, that I think in general, I think I share this opinion with most fans, is that Kevin Adams has went from a guy that we thought was hired to be a yes man to a guy we do kind of trust going forward yeah. here you know, pretty yeah. quickly. So I give him some credit for that. And that's uh, part of what optimism remains in my, you know, it's essentially just beaten soul when it comes to the Sabres, which was, you know, any part of it that was alive was killed by uh, by uh, Jack Eichel and, and the Vegas Knights last week. But yeah, brighter days are ahead, I'm sure. Anyway, one thing I want to talk to you about, and, and you've alluded to it all the time, and, and I think it's something the Sabres have fallen trapped to, you know, as one of the, the issues here is like, you know, the Comrie. You know, I think one game he hasn't let in three goals. You know, he hasn't been very good, below average probably. You know, Anderson's been a little better than that, but he's old. You can only count on him so much. And I feel like this there's this perception in the, in the analytics era that not to invest much in a goalie, you know, just make sure you get average goal attending. And that seems fine to me, except they can never get average goal attending. They're always below average. And I know the reasoning is they're trying to bridge a gap here to Devin Levi or you know, to Portillo in Michigan if he signs or whoever they feel like the next guy is, maybe it's UPL, whatever. I see what they're trying to do, but it's not working out, dragging the team down. And it brings me to kind of analytics in general. And I had Joe Madden on the show, which was pretty cool, actually. Even though he was That's on, cool. he had a book, he was on every show. You know what I mean? It's not, <laughs> it's not like he was like, man, I really got to get on that show. It's more like his book company's like, hey, we're booking him for like a thousand shows. You want to be one? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> but. But it was cool to have him, you know, and he was a cool guy. And he's got a really fun ego, and, and he kind of feels like he's the guy who brought analytics to baseball. You know what I mean? He yeah, kind of feels right. like it's his thing. And maybe it is, maybe it's not. I have no idea, but he feels like it is. And he also feels like what he brought to baseball has grown into a monster, that something he brought to serve the managers has now become something that the managers serve. And ever since he said that, and it was like right at the start of hockey season, you know, like right around when hockey season was coming in and you're having more discussions about hockey. I've been thinking about analytics and baseball and analytics and hockey. And the one thing that analytics has destroyed for me in baseball is the conversation about it. You know, that if you don't have a calculator in your pocket, if you're not ready, you know, to talk about these weird things, you, you can't have a discussion with anyone about baseball. And I feel like we're getting to that point in hockey, and I don't know why we're doing this. Like I love, the, I love the idea that people who are in charge of putting together the fourth line are using information that's really important uh, to 
create a roster to to make sure that your your fourth line player is, is someone like Asplund, you know, and not someone like I don't know, someone who's not good analytically and and ends up being a de- uh, oh Cody Eakin, you know what I mean? Like you're you're making the right choices there, and that you know you're using it's good information to have organizationally. I just feel like as a fan, it's just it's just turning me off to wanting to talk about hockey. I don't understand a lot of the stats. I don't know who's expecting the goals, why they're expecting the goals, (laughs) you know, whose decision it is that a goal should be expected on this particular shot, but not on this one. You know, there's just a certain amount of it. And I look at what's happened to baseball and I worry about hockey, but I know you love this stuff. So tell me why I'm wrong here because I'm willing to be, I'm not dug in, but I'm nervous. If any well, of that baseball's, made sense. A lot of the baseball, I, I watched a lot more baseball this postseason than I had in a long time. I don't know why. I was just kind of into it. And the Mets, the Mets obviously were briefly part of it. And then I got, in, I kind of like, like that Padres team a little bit and was watching them a little bit. So like I watched more on television than I, I normally do. And, and I agree with you that like watching a baseball game on television now is, is kind of off putting in the sense that the analytics in baseball seem like they are, less explanatory than predictive sometimes like um you know when when somebody hits a ball and and it's caught and then the next thing on the broadcast you see is well it's amazing with that velocity hard yeah yeah with that velocity in that direction there's a there's a 70 percent chance it's going to be a hit i'm like what does that tell me like who cares like it wasn't like i mean i i I understand i understand the notion of this should have been a thing but like on a on a on a at bat by at bat, um, you know, uh, perspective, it doesn't it doesn't do anything for me as as a, as a viewer. Like, because I don't think that that stat. I mean, maybe maybe it brings in this, and I don't know about it. But like, what is the pitcher doing? What is the defense? I, I it's all these these variables that um, if they are taken into account for that stat, you need to tell me because at, at, at face it just seems like like junk science. And you know what um, I think of Greg? I think of the guys in major league in the outfield that are arguing over the high ball and they're like who gives a shit? It's gone. It's too high. Yeah, you know what high. I mean? It's, who gives but, a shit? It's here, gone or it's not. But, I don't know. Yeah. But to go to your hockey point, like yeah. I think the problem with analytics right now in hockey is that there isn't a lot of explanation. I think I think someone like you who loves the game would really appreciate all of the storytelling and analysis that comes from deep diving into statistics. It's just that they're they're quoted as being something important without it without a lot of connotation as to why they're important, and, and that's the issue. I've been having this battle with these absolute morons in St. Louis about Jordan Bennington. <laughs> I've seen and, I've and, seen some of that. Yeah. yeah, and and so and so like they they're all like, "What about the eye test, buddy? Watch the games. He's been incredible. Watch the games. Do this. Watch the games." And like until very very recently, and, and by that I mean like a game against Colorado recently where he had forty five saves. Like all of his metrics were were, were below replacement. Um, whether it was ex- goals saved above expected, w- w- all of it. I mean, outside of maybe quality starts where he was pretty good. But when when you look at those numbers, they tell you that he's not playing extraordinarily well given what the defense in front of him is giving him. And then you look at the traditional stats, and he had like an eight eighty five save percentage. Um, you know, like so there was no metric saving him. Well, well, well old or the new, thing is what right? he what, what their what their argument was was in the wins he's great and he and in, in their wins he has like a goals against average of like under two in their losses he's goals against average above four and a save percentage like well into the mid eight well, hundreds. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, okay, of course, so, right. Yeah. So, so what that tells us is that if you're going to make the Bennington argument, then you're going to take the times he's good and say, look how good he is. Right. And then I'm going to take the times he's bad and say, look except how bad for he these is. times, right. he's terrible. Sure. And so the point is, the point is this. There are statistical measurements of a player's value that take into account what the team in front of him is doing. And you can, you can put, point to those and, and push those and say, this is what is expected of this player, and here is how he's performing based on those expectations of shot quality and the defense in front of him and all those other things. And then they're going to come back at you and say, well, watch the games, buddy. So I think, I think the cool thing about, about hockey analytics is that they give you a fuller picture on what has happened. And, and why things have happened. I, I don't think they're predictive. I don't use them, for example, in, in my, my sports wagering outside of maybe taking a 10-game chunk and seeing how a team is playing during that chunk. Like, I'll do that if, if I'm making a bet. Um, but I'm not necessarily using that as it being all that predictive. They, 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 tell, they help us understand why things are going the way they are. And, and also, they're really good for storytelling. Like, I'll give you another example. Like, um, to go back to goaltending, Carter Hart. Like Carter Hart at the beginning of the season has been one of the more interesting stories in the league because he's good and he's been horrible for like three years. And you're like, wow, what is, what's what's changed here that's allowed him to be good? Now, the the first inkling would be what's changed is John Tortorella is now his coach. And Tortorella has the reputation of play, ha- having a system that's very goaltender friendly. Sure, right? yeah. But Unless except you go into the... out, right? <laughs> right, right. Unless <laughs> yeah. he's pulling you out or berating you. Yeah. Um, but when you go into the numbers, you realize that the team in front of Carter Hart has been kind of bad. Like, they've been bad defensively. And so what you get there, courtesy of the analytics, and, and this is something that the, the traditional stats won't tell you, is you have this amazing story about how Carter Hart has found his game despite the team in front of him. And you're not going to get that necessarily with you know a box score or the eye test or things of that nature. But it, but it tells you an interesting piece of information about about the goalie's performance. And, and so I, I love analytics. You're right. I, I, I don't, I'm not slavish to them. I don't think that they always explain everything about a team. Um, but, but, I also, but, but I think that they're a hell of a lot more uh, consumable and interesting and beneficial to being a fan of this sport than, than baseballs are. Interesting. You know, I've, I, I'm a guy who's watched a lot of hockey games, played a lot of hockey games, been to a lot of hockey games in my life, like a lot. And when I'm read, uh, and, and I'm also a guy who really likes media. You know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a sports media nerd. And uh, when I read a, a a power rankings column, and I know that a person is cannot be in thirty places at once, I very much <laughs> respect them using these kinds of things to help organize what's happening in the league. You know, right? When right. I am reading someone who was at the game, I'm very much more impressed by them telling me what they witnessed at the game, you know, and what, and maybe this is an eye test kind of an argument in a way where I want, I'm more impressed and I'm more, I'm more eager to listen to someone who says, this is what I, this is what I watched during the game. This is what I seen Casey Middlestat do, you know, that was good. And this is what I see him do. That was bad. Um, I just, I just respond to that better in that setting. But I guess I'm the I'm, I'm almost like a tweener where I see the value of it in here, and, and but I prefer uh, the expertise of someone in the arena kind of watching it here, you know. Um, so I don't know where I stand. I just hope we don't get to a point where you can't talk about why you think 
Rasmus Stalin is having a better season than um, Cole McCarr that without having heat map in your pocket. You know, I just, <laughs> I'm afraid of that. You know what I mean? So, um, but that's only because I love baseball and I've seen what happened there. So I, I guess that's my point, kind of. Um, but thank you, because I, I. But people like you who I respect, I see your passion for it and love of it, and it makes me try to learn more about it. You know what I mean? And, and accept yeah. it more. So I'm not again, the kind like of person said, who's like, just like, closed like, off to it. You know, I don't want to be that. Like I said, I think, I think, <clears throat> I, 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 think um, I think analytics are another thing, uh, and I think sports wagering is the same, the same kind of thing. Of they've been thrown into traditional coverage so quickly and in some cases so haphazardly that people don't understand what they're looking at, the value of it, and, and they find it to be annoying because it's kind of getting in the way of the thing that they're, they're normally used to seeing, right? And so um, the, the networks, um, I think ours has actually done a pretty good job. We've had Megan Shaka on a bunch of times to, uh, to talk about analytics and ex- explain what we're looking at. But by, by and large, you know, when you watch a, a local a local coverage and they mention analytics, it's not necessarily going to be explained in a satisfactory way, and and that's annoying. I mean, you know, like if I tell you that uh, this guy has uh, you know minus two expected goals, you're like, well, like you said, who's expecting him? <laughs> you know, and, and you're never... there. You, those guys yeah. are there. Just tell me what you've seen there. You know what I mean? I can read. You know, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder that. I love, I love that. You know, like who is expecting the goal? I, I didn't expect the goal there. I don't know. But uh, one thing that e- you said ESPN has done it well, one thing ESPN does very well, and I'm, I'm going to finish up with you because I know you have other stuff to do. Uh, one thing ESPN has done very well in its hockey coverage is a little digital show that could called The Drop, which I know hey. I've told you I love. I love that you search the planet for the guy who could host a show that looked the most like you. I, res- <laughs> I respect that very much. You're like, I have to find someone who is very much appearing to be very much like me. And then we'll do the show. But I love the show. Uh, talk, just tell people about it a little bit, and and why do you think it resonates so much with me? And and why were you so smart to create a show that could connect with me like that? And why do you think <laughs> it's going to grow as much as I do? Go ahead. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny when like we do a screen grab of the show, and 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 like the I, it, this has happened at least a dozen times where somebody will respond by, okay, so which one of you is Zelensky? And, uh, and we, we right. both, we're both <laughs> like true, so, yeah. swarthy people who kind of like resemble the Ukrainian president yes. in a lot of ways. Uh, me being Ukrainian, uh, you know, probably helps with it too. But, um, you know, The Drop was a show that we did as sort of a pregame show during some ESPN broadcasts. We, we got a, a, you know, it was on Twitter. It was on ESPN+. Plus. Um, it was fun. It was sort of the pregame show that I would want to watch where it's irreverent and, and we have some guests on and, and have some fun. And, and so... They they decided you know we they have a, a YouTube um, channel for almost every sport does ESPN and they've done they've gotten successful basketball shows and college football shows and so they gave me and Arda a chance to kind of create something for their hockey channel and and you know so far so good I mean it's it's a new show it's growing it's a new medium for me uh, and and part of my challenge in creating the show is s- trying to not script it like a podcast like I've been doing for the last dozen years. Uh, because that can get kind of long, and so you know, the couple early episodes were were longer than you'd probably want a YouTube show to be. So you live and you learn and you prune and you change things, and and, and I think that you know we're going to find a rhythm now where we have really interesting conversations amongst ourselves and with with interesting people, and uh, and just have some fun with it, man. Like the, my approach to this was going to be my approach to anything that I did, whether it was a podcast or a streaming show for us, which is. 
we are really, really, really good at news and analysis and showing the games. The games look gorgeous and reporting. Yeah, but with, let's have fun me. now. Yeah, yeah me, yeah. me, and the you know, and and so the key for me was creating that other thing that's sort of like more hockey culture and more more f- comedy and more fun and, and yeah. more debate. I don't think there's enough debate um, in, in any of the hockey coverage uh, in, in in North America. There's not enough of that like New York talk radio kind of yelling thing. Uh, so I, I wanted to like try to do as much of that as I can, and we'll get there. Like uh, the, the audience has grown, which makes me super happy. I, don't, I'm, I appreciate everybody checking out the show, and uh, it's only going to get better as we kind of find our rhythm and, and find. Uh, most importantly, <laughs> how long people will tolerate us. It's probably not 50 minutes, <laughs> but we'll see how long yeah. these shows go. No, it's very good. And um, if there's ever a Where's Wish book, like Where's Waldo, your partner would definitely be one of the pictures. You know what I mean? <laughs> be one of the other guys in the picture. Uh, nope, that's not him. But uh, I think that more of the bits that are just meant to be fun and cool have hit than failed. You know, I think you're batting really well there, you know, where Thanks. Cause everything can't work out, but I think more have than haven't. Um, and, uh, even though my boy Dater took a couple hits last year during the playoffs, uh, <laughs> I, cause that's a good, that's a good, gets a good man. Who's just flawed, but he is a good man. Um, he, uh, he, he, he can laugh about it. He's good about it. And we, and we, we actually did have a good laugh about the one, uh, joke there, but, uh, the, um, the show is great. And if you follow Greg at Wachinski on Twitter, you can, um, you can find out most of the information about where it is on Twitter, YouTube, all the, the best ways to find it uh, because it's really great. Okay, I'll let you get out of here on this because I know you have other things to do than talk to me all day, although I'd enjoy that. It'd be interesting <laughs> if one day we just talked to each other all day um, <laughs> and seen what happened. Uh, first of all, do you do you have the iPhone 15 yet? Uh, I don't know what iPhone I have. <laughs> no, it's just I know you, you. I was it's just kind of like an, an inside joke kind of a thing, you know. Like oh, you, your wife is such a star at Apple. I wonder. You know, oh, you, oh, you know, oh, like, yeah. Do you I mean, Ruby's yeah. yeah, like she's 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 killing it. She does. Um, the first time I've seen her on a keynote, I was like, oh my god, that's Puck Daddy's wife right there. I can't yep. believe it. Yeah, yeah. She, I told she because I had no idea joke. what she did. You know what I mean? There's and a run, just, there, she, there she was. Joke in our house that in, in in appearing in one of those Apple keynote videos, she reached a larger audience than I've reached in my entire career, and I think that's probably accurate based <laughs> on the amount of feedback I've gotten from people that saw her in that video. Yeah, like billions of people watched that video because I just had no idea she, that's what she did. I just you know I've just seen her like in your Instagram. You know, like, oh, yep. that, you know, so that was wild. All right. Yeah, at, she's awesome. Last thing, I'll get you out of here on this. What about the season so far has surprised you the most? And what has been, what has happened that you most expected? What are those things? Most expected was that the Bruins weren't done. Um, I mean, I, I didn't think they'd be this good, but I, I also didn't yeah. think that the, 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 the people that were grouping them in with the Capitals as being like their windows closed. I'm like, nah, dude, they, they've got some run left. And, Bringing Krejci back was going to be big for them, and and you know the Lindholm acquisition last year was going to make them a lot better. And I'm I'm a big Jim Montgomery fan as a coach, and so like I. I figured, he I figured my he was going. He recruited yeah, my yeah. So a I, super I, guy. Yeah, I knew he I knew that he would have a a, a a positive effect on them. And 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 you ask them to a man, they'll tell you that it's it's his arrival that has really kind of like bumped them up to this level of 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 effectiveness. So, um, and props to the so training yeah, staff. That, Getting those guys yeah. back so quick, you know what I mean? Like, For sure. Yeah, props and there too. Weathering that storm. So yeah. that, that was the thing I expected from from a didn't didn't expect it standpoint on on kind of the negative side. Like I don't know. There's there's some teams that are off to pretty middling starts. Um, if I had to pick one to say that I, I thought it was going to be better for them, it's probably Pittsburgh. Um, 
you know, that was that was a team that, you know, they bought the band back together. They got yeah. the whole thing going. They start mm. off the season really well, and then they really hit the skids. Um, and, and it was kind of inexplicable. It wasn't as if they were missing a ton of guys to injury like they usually do. Um, maybe that's the key. Maybe maybe someone's got to like hit someone in the knee with a, <laughs> with a pipe, and then they get they good need again. To lose Malkin for thirty games. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, but, but that was a team that I really thought was going to um, really roll in the regular season um, and and have another really good run left in it, and, and they probably still could. Uh, but that, you know, I, I expect I didn't pick the Blues to make the playoffs. I didn't pick the Capitals to make the playoffs. The, Pen- the Penguins, though, I had as a playoff team, and I'm a little surprised on where they where they are right now in the standings. Very cool. You can find uh, Greg, who's been too good to me for too long, way back since episode two of this show in 2011. You can find him at Wyshynski on Twitter, and that will tell you where to go to to see his still contributions to the pop culture side of puck soup and you can find out about the drop and you can read his columns including the great one he just had about the hockey hall of fame where he stood up for my boy mcgillney who absolutely deserves to be in it and, oh yeah uh, and all the other stuff he's doing which is stuff he needs to get back to so i have to let him go but thank you greg for the time i appreciate it anytime thanks for having me Could have used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering out She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, sudden way up high Alright, I want to thank Greg Wyshynski For being on the show this week And a real quick book club update And I mean a real quick book club update uh, the last book of the year is Bleeding Green, A History of the Hartford Whalers by Christopher Price. And we will close uh, the book club out for 2022 in one minute. We'll do the interview with Christopher Price. And that clears my desk for the year. Uh, next episode, we will do a Christmas uh, books, gifts kind of a thing. Books you could buy for your dad or your friend or yourself. Put on your Christmas list. I'll go through some that I like this year. Uh, Then maybe if we do two more episodes this year, we'll do a best books of the year kind of a thing. Uh, And then we're going to look ahead to next year. The great blog that is out there about sports books uh, published their all sports books reviews uh, is the name of the blog. It's got a great sub stack you can follow at SPRT book reviews. On Twitter, they posted their list of the best books for 2023. There's a new John Feinstein book. Jeff Benedict has a book on LeBron James. Magic Johnson book. There's some interesting books about Italian soccer, which this guy really seems to like. I'm going to have to track him down uh, so we can talk more about it. Uh, But it should be a great year for the book club. Um, If you don't know about this account, like again, I said on Twitter, it's at um, SPRT book reviews. I would check that out and you can join the sub stack and write in your email. You can get the blog about his list of sports books for 2023, or you can follow the long Twitter thread that he posted this morning uh, with a bunch of books that are coming out and the authors being tagged and uh, those kinds of things. So that is that for the book club for today and for 2023. 
two, it's pretty much over. Uh, we'll take a break and we'll fini- finish it officially with our interview with Christopher Price. Our next guest today is from Massachusetts. He currently writes for the Boston Globe. He spent some time writing in the Boston area for years now. He's a Northeastern graduate. He's making a sportscaster's debut today to talk about his awesome book called Bleeding Green, History of the Hartford Whalers. Let's talk Adams Division Hockey. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Christopher Price. Hey, Christopher, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Bleeding Green, A History of the Hartford Whalers is the book, and I was excited about it because I was an Adams Division kid. <laughs> you know, I grew up here in Buffalo, and I went to many, many, many Whalers games because they were the cheap ones. Oh, yes. You oh, know. yes. And the Adams Division was a blast. Man. Yeah. A lot of people forget it was the... You know the black and blue division, and it was it was one of, if not the toughest division to make it out of, because you know whoever whoever finished, whoever 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 made it out of that division, you know when it comes to the postseason, certainly had their bona fides. It was it was one of like like I said, one of the toughest divisions in the league. Yeah, I mean, even the years the Sabers were pretty successful, like in '93, they sweep the Bruins, and then they have Montreal is going to win the cup. Mogilney, who had 76 goals, breaks his leg in game two. But still, mm-hmm. all those games were one-goal games. That went to, Three of them went to overtime. Mm-hmm. You know, Montreal won 10-0 in overtime that, that year. So it was always very difficult. This was back when you could actually make the playoffs in the NHL. I don't know why the NHL's decided to be a league where the fewest amount of teams make the playoffs relative to the amount of teams in the league. Back mm-hmm. then, you know, it was with five teams in the division, four made it. And yep. it was always fun. And like I said, I went to a lot of Whalers games because they played here a lot and they played on the week during the week, you know, <laughs> and uh, we would get we would get tickets to the games and go down to the odd to see them. And they actually played the last game in the odd, too. Cool. Cool. Uh, it, it was it was it was one of those, you know, it, it was you talk about how tough the Adams division was. And I, I think both the Whalers fans and Sabres fans can you know point to the fact that they were good at a really unfortunate time that, you know, a lot of it was, was because either the Bruins were doing well or the, the Canadians were doing well, you know, the, right. the Canadians would eventually go on to win a bunch of cups, you know, and, and, you know, and the Bruins knocked out the, you know, knocked out the Whalers a couple of times and, you know, also, you know, did the same thing to the Sabres, but it was just, it was just, there were <laughs> the misfortune of being good at a bad time. I don't know if a, a division has ever had more beautiful uniforms either. I mean, you got oh. the, the beautiful Nordiques uniforms, the light, you know, the, the baby blue, the Nordiques, those are beautiful. You got the beautiful green, unique whaler jerseys. You know, the Canadians mm-hmm. is iconic. Mm-hmm. You know, the Sabres was really the, the nice uh, blue and gold then, perfect. And and the Bruins is also kind of iconic. So a beautiful yep. division. Everyone dressed really well. Why did you want to do this book? Uh, it, it was something that was very personal to me. I, I grew up in Connecticut. I grew up as a Whalers fan. And as a, you know, as an author and as a journalist, you very rarely get projects that kind of hit so close to home for you. I, I wrote a book about the history of the Cape Cod baseball. Like that was my first book. And that was equally personal. But this for me 
was a passion project because I grew up as a Whalers fan. I grew up going to the Hartford Civic Center and going to Wendy's in the Civic Center and going going to the gift shop. You know the 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 famous the, the Whalers gift shop walk through the whale. I had the forty five of Brass Bonanza. You know, I, yeah. I was one of those kids who who grew up and who lived that experience. And so, um, it was funny in, in two thousand sixteen. My wife and I were sitting in the living room and we were thinking about you know okay what's what's my next project going to be? I just finished my, I think it was my fourth book. Um, and she said, well, why don't you write a book about the whalers? And it took me about two seconds to say, you know what, that's a hell of an idea. And so, so here we are, I interviewed about a hundred people and, you know, former players, fans, media, it was just, like I said, it was a labor of love. It was a real passion project for me. How much did the pandemic help? Did that time? Yeah. Yeah. it, it really did. And I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, it, it writing a book is, is always kind of a lonely experience. Um, right. You know, again, I've done this before. And so, you know, being able to kind of sit at a sit at a computer, sit at a laptop and kind of close the door to my office and just kind of, you know, block out you know how crazy the world was in those moments to be able to kind of go back and revisit some of those great times. It, it really helped. It did. It was it was a, a you know, a lot of times it was. It was a, it was a real you know mental health you know it, it helped my mental health to be able to kind of close the door and, and do some research on the eighty four eighty five whalers and you know what they meant to the, the history of the franchise. One thing I, I've I've heard from a lot of authors when talking to them about their books and and I was wondering if if the whalers were an example of this because you said you did a hundred interviews and I think Jeff Perlman said it when he wrote the USFL book. Um, I think of a couple others, but the point is, is that you're interviewing people about the best thing they ever did. Is there a lot of whalers or people associated with the whalers that you interviewed that talking about it was almost like comfort food to them because mm-hmm. being a part of this hockey team in Connecticut was like the best thing they ever did and will do in their life? Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. It was comfort food for a lot of them. The other thing that I learned specifically from Jeff and the way he goes about his research and his interviews i'm glad you bring him up as an example because he's an absolutely excellent example of the fact that you never know what you're going to get from someone who was there and a lot of times your best stuff is not necessarily the stuff that you get from the stars you know the uh, you know the, the the memorable guys the hall of famers that's not to say that you know ron francis and kevin Deneen and mike lee and those guys weren't weren't great to talk to but some of my favorite stories in this book came from guys like Dave Diebel, you know, who played a couple of years in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, Jordy Douglas, you know, who, uh, you know, who's who's you know, sign off was really helpful for me in a lot of ways when it came to you know getting trust of, of 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 a lot of people. Andre Lacroix, you know, the, the, these guys who were not necessarily considered, you know, the the first names you think of when you think of the Whalers, but these guys told some great stories. They had some great fun. You know, Kelly Chase is another one too, who who just who kind of opened up his memory banks and and you know I, th- I think the comfort food analogy is a really good one that that they were able to kind of go back and revisit some of these great times, and and they told some great stories. It was a lot of fun. Was there a sleeper interview like the one guy that you wouldn't think of that just provided so much to the book? He turned out to be invaluable. There were there were a few there were a few guys like that. Um, like I said, Dave Deball, who you know gave me a lot of kind of local color, um, not local color, but but kind of background on what it was like playing for the Whalers and being a teammate of Gordie Howe in the, you know, in the 70s. Um, Kent Mandeville, who was on the last team 
when before they moved to Carolina. Yeah, was great to talk to. Yeah, he was he was he was so cool to talk to. He he told a story about how every month or so they would have that last year they would have a meeting or every three weeks or so they would have a team meeting either in the locker room or whatever. And Peter Carmanos, the owner, would say, "All right." we're moving to Columbus and that's where we're going to move to. And that's, you know, we're going to be the Columbus so-and-so. And and then literally three weeks later, he would come in and say, all right, we're moving to St. Petersburg. That's what, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and so, you know, and those are stories that, you know, no one else told. I was able to verify them, you know, thanks to, you know, thanks to the work of guys like Kent, but um, the, ultimately to answer your question, there were, there were probably like four or five of those guys who I went into the interview thinking, well, you know, this is just going to be, this is good. This is going to kind of get some local color and kind of, you know, you know kind of a, a little more depth to some certain stories. But there were guys who, who really helped me understand what it was like being a part of the franchise at a key time. I was thinking when I was getting ready to read the book, like, who are the, as a Sabres fan growing up in Buffalo, who are the, who are the Whalers players that, you know, just scared the shit out of me? And I, I, it's Deneen and Verbeek are the two names that come to mind. Yeah. For sure, but there was also a defenseman named Adam Burt who absolutely punished the Sabers. Not a mm-hmm. goal scoring guy, but this guy was so damn solid, and it felt like every time, you know, Mogilny or Lafontaine jumped over the boards, Burt did too, and he's just a really solid dude. And it feels like there's a lot of Whalers like that. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. That just these underrated guys in the franchise who kept the engine moving for all those years. Was it yeah. almost more fun to write about them than to write about a Deneen or a Shanahan or a Verbeek? Yeah, yeah, because the because in, in, when the Whalers were at their best, they really had the team building aspect of this down perfectly, and that they were able to surround some of those stars, the Verbeeks and the you know the the Denines, with some really solid guys. You know, they were able to kind of it, it wasn't about collecting talent; it was about assembling a team. And, and I love Adam Burt. I, Adam Burt was one of my favorite guys to talk to. It's it's weird. The 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 tough guys were were great were fantastic interviews and I don't know what that, what that comes from you know whether it's just a you know the unfiltered approach to you know doing what it takes to survive in the National Hockey League or whatever but um yeah Bert was great Bert told a story um about getting he would fight Cam Neely a lot I bet. And, yeah I bet <laughs> yeah and, yeah and, and, and he got dotted a couple times by Cam but but he you know he was able to get his shots in and um, the great thing about Adam Burt, and I don't think I include this in the book, Adam Burt went on to, and now he's, he's a chaplain. He's, he's a, he's a man of God. And, and he, for a while, I don't know if he still is, but for a while he was the Jets team chaplain. So I, I just, I, I love his career arc. I, I love, you know, not only what he did in the national hockey league to survive, he did what he did, but, um, the fact that he would go on to be, to be a priest, I think is a, is a fun story. Yeah, you gotta love a guy born in Detroit, Michigan, plays his hockey in Hartford, Connecticut, and ends up praying with the team in Winnipeg, Manitoba. <laughs> like you gotta. <laughs> he was he he was great, and and again, the, those the, the tough guys were fun to talk to, and again, I I I wonder sometimes where that comes from. Whether that's just you know, look, I had to do whatever it took to survive in the NHL, and. You know, if that meant fighting, I had to fight. And so, you know, I, I don't know if there's a, there's a certain, you know, part of your DNA that kind of lends itself to being kind of an unfiltered interview. But, you know, Adam Burt, Kelly Chase, I talked to Chris Nyland um, about what it was like playing against the Whalers. Those guys, those three in particular, were just absolutely great to interview. One thing I was thinking about 
when I sat down with this is it's like, okay, what do I remember most about the Whalers? I remember the uniforms. I remember the song, obviously, from my NHL, you know, 94 days. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember Deneen, and, and I remember, you know, Verbeek, and I remember going to the games. I remember him being here for the odd. I remember the mall. You know, they played at a mall, and, like, as a kid, yep. a, an 80s kid who loved going to the mall, I just was like, wow, you can go to the mall day and then see a, a hockey game at the end? Like, it's <laughs> trying to just comprehend what that even meant was just, like, mind-blowing for me at the time, and I've actually seen Pearl Jam there a few times um, in its, you know, later incarnation here. Uh, but um, here's what I didn't know. What's the best season? What's the best moment in whalers hockey you know what i mean i i think i felt like they i identified them a lot the same way i do with the sabers like you know not not a championship winning team necessarily in the nhl and but certainly i'm sure have their moments like we do Derek plant scoring in game seven round one against ottawa you know that's a big deal mm-hmm. people in buffalo nobody else cares you know and i just <laughs> wonder if the whalers are like what's the what's the signature moment in whalers history for for them it was most likely the 1986 postseason where they beat the Nordiques in the first round. They pushed the Canadians to a seventh game um, overtime in the next round. And the people who are part of that team are quick to tell you or quick to remind you that that 1986 team um, absolutely vaporized the Calgary Flames. And if you remember, the the Flames knocked the Oilers out of the playoffs. And and that was the one year, like the one year where Gretzky was at his absolute peak. Right, that was the Steve Smith Year, yeah, right? yeah. The, the Steve Smith, exactly yeah. the Steve Smith goal. Yeah, and so, so you you think back on that if you're a Whalers fan, and you know if they could have found a way to beat the Canadians, you know the Rangers would have been next, and they absolutely you know they crushed the Rangers in the regular season, um, and again they, they absolutely destroyed the Flames. You know the the two times they played that year, and so you know it, it's a lot of what if, but the eighty five eighty six team was great in the single peak moment for that team. And I write about this in the book is the Kevin Deneen overtime goal in game four. And if, and if you know how outside of the, the TD garden, there's right. the, the yep. statue of Bobby Orr where he's flying through the air. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if they could, if they could erect a statue that, that commemorates the whalers, it would be Deneen kind of throwing his hands up in the air after beating Larry Robinson and then Patrick Roy to, to score that overtime goal because it was a feeling in that moment. And I remember it distinctly. It's funny as I'm, as I'm talking to him, getting goosebumps about it, that the whalers had arrived, that, that they were able to stand toe to toe with any team in the NHL. They could, they could, you know, they were able to, you know, the, the thought that they could knock off the mighty Canadians was, was real. And, and so, you know, they, they, Really, for me, and, and I know that there were other there were other peak years. Obviously, the first team they won the Avco Cup. Um, you know, the Gordie Howe team. The, the first year in the National Hockey League, they had um, they had Gordie Howe. They had Dave Keon, and they had Brett Hull um, on on his last contract, and so that was memorable as well. And you know, they were able to beat the Soviets in 1977. Um, but really, for me, the, the absolute zenith of that franchise was that postseason, the 1986 postseason. The dev- and, and, and I mean, just to go game seven, you know, overtime versus the eventual cup champions. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. sure if me and you watch that overtime of that game, you think like if this bounce right here doesn't happen, we have a different cup champion in the yep. 1986. Yeah. You know, who yeah, knows it, what, it, the, the career yeah. tra- trajectory of Patrick Wise may be different. You know, exactly. It, you know, that's, it's, that's a great point. Yeah. 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 That, yeah it, it is. It's, you know, you look at, you look at it, if they could have knocked that team off. 
<clears throat> what they could have done. And, and I think that, you know, you look at, it's a great point to look at, you know, the career trajectory of someone like Patrick Roy, who, if he was not able to stand up against the Whalers down the street, you know, they, they could have done this and this would have happened. And it is, it's fascinating to think of what might have happened. Uh, you know, if if they have been able to knock off knock off the Canadians, but Claude Lemieux, yeah, would damn not you, happen. Claude Lemieux, yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. I, I was just listening to. Uh, I, I'm a huge Howard Stern fan, but I, I'm I'm a catalog guy. I haven't listened mm-hmm. to a new show since like 2014. I I just listened to old stuff, and they had Claude Lemieux <laughs> on the day after they won the Stanley Cup in New Jersey, and he was sanctioned to Jackie the Joke Man to poop in the stanley cup it was a joke it was fake they were just scaring the hell out of gary batman i guess but <laughs> I, i'll say this man if, if there's one guy who throughout the league you know i i hate claude lemieux for what he did right and, and i know that you know the the guys in you know if you're a detroit hockey fan right. you feel the same way yeah you know but the guy the guy won sure the guy did. won he, he did you know whether wherever he went he won and so it's it's kind of a it's difficult to admit but you know, Lemieux got quite the resume as a result. Yeah, that, I think that season's a good example, too. I think he had, like, four goals all regular season, and then he won the Conn yeah. Smythe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, in 95. Yeah. My brother was on the greatest Connecticut hockey team of all time, um, the 2013 Yale Bulldog National Championship hockey team. Nice. Um, college hockey sort of, uh, I guess, had to take over here in absence of the whalers and they've done pretty well you know yell a frozen four a frozen four and and a championship quinnipack been to two frozen fours uh right near each other w- what's hockey like in the state as far as you could tell my brother graduated in 2015 so it's even been seven years now since i've been able to 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 be there but um what do you what what, what is the health of hockey in the state and, and and what do you think about the college programs having uh carried the uh carried the flag for the last uh, several years here i think i think it's fantastic i do i think it's fantastic i think the state of hockey in connecticut is great and i think the energy that was poured into the whalers for such a long time has now been kind of redistributed a little bit amongst those teams that are doing so well uconn continues to play very very well you know one of the better teams in hockey last year and yeah. you know, the last, a last growing few years program. So. yeah growing program yeah it, sure. it really is and, yeah. and and i think i i don't want to say that you know i i would put all of the you know put it all on the fact that the whalers you know help jump start it or but but i do think that that the energy that the people put into the whalers has been redistributed to the college hockey programs um because i will say this too that that when you look at hockey right now in connecticut you don't necessarily think of you know the minor league team or teams you know you you think of college hockey and yeah, so yeah, i think yeah, exactly. yeah 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 and uconn now for sure yeah exactly and sacred you know, heart being the fourth yeah yep. exactly that's yep. true that's yeah, that's a great point and yeah. and so i i think it's it's worth remembering that while you know the the, the passion for hockey didn't necessarily start with the whalers in connecticut the legacy of the Whalers, I think, certainly added to it. And, and sort of fittingly, the nickname of Yale's arena is the Whale, right? The Yale oh, Whale. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I know firsthand from, you know, I was obviously several games there. And there's students there, of course. But the passion of the fan base for Yale hockey, at least, I can't necessarily yep. speak to Quinnipiac or to UConn or Sacred Heart, but certainly for Yale, is the community. Yeah, you know what I mean? Really and it is people who, who grew up loving hockey in Connecticut because of the Whalers. Yale certainly, like I said, I can't speak for their three programs, but Yale certainly wouldn't have the atmosphere and the support without 
the community, you know, and and, and yeah. rest in peace, Chip Malafante, uh, who covered <laughs> it so well for for the uh, New Haven, um, the New Haven Register passed away. Yeah. But you know, just there's great hockey people in the state, and it's it's carried through the loss of the Whalers. Yeah. You know, the way maybe some areas wouldn't have wouldn't have survived it. Yeah, I agree, and, and I think it's interesting when you stack the history of hockey against another sport in Connecticut basketball that the Whalers were the first the first taste of real big-time sports in Connecticut. And this is before, obviously, UConn basketball became the all-consuming monolith that it is now with men's and women's, that I think people remember that. And I think people still, you know, will, will enjoy returning to their roots and enjoy hockey in the state of Connecticut, you know? So I, I, the other thing that's interesting, too, in, is when you look at the way hockey has kind of grown and evolved in Connecticut that, that I think a lot of people for whatever reason, the minor league teams just haven't been able to imprint themselves on the, the Connecticut <laughs> mob community. owners didn't help either. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Maybe one of the, the, the greatest Netflix sports documentaries exactly. ever too good. Ever yeah, produced, too good. You got to you know, watch the, it. The yeah. Denver trashers. Yeah. yeah. So, but, but, but they just haven't been able to kind of, you know, find that same level of footing that, that, that college hockey has. And I don't know if that's, that has to do with the fan base. I don't know if that has to do with the history. I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's interesting to me that while college hockey and the NHL, you know, enjoyed some success and continue to enjoy some, some success in the state of Connecticut, minor league hockey is just, hasn't been able to kind of find that same sort of niche. Yeah. That's interesting. I don't know if I totally understand why, but that's interesting. Uh, maybe there's just only so much time in the day for it, and and people have yeah. to redistribute their energies to the college programs like that. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I, and and I think I think you know as, as as you brought up, I think there's some some way to identify with the college programs. You know, if if you have a friend or if you have a family member, or if you, you know, you can you can identify, or you know, you go to the school. There's a level of permanence there, sure. and I don't think you have that same level of permanence, at least when it comes to personnel. That you know, that I don't think that level of permanence exists when it, when you're talking about minor league hockey as opposed to you know college or pro. Yeah, and I know that the people in New Haven are proud that Yale is there. You know what I mean? That means something to mm-hmm. them. Um, so I think that there's a level, and and then I mean the the Quinnipiac they they built that program from D three, they you know, did to a D one yep. power. You know, as much as I hate Rand Pecknell, um, as a rival, uh, you mm-hmm. absolutely have to tip your hat to what he's built there. I mean, yeah. Because they have a beautiful rink on a hill, you know what I yep. mean that they pack yeah. now, and you know they've yeah. been to two uh, frozen fours, and they're a threat every year to go to another one. Yep. Um, yeah. So you have to tip your cap there. What do you What do you think the future of hockey is in the state? I think it's great. I do. I think. I think. It, I'm. I'm. Don't know if I'm being overly optimistic, but I think the college programs have really continued to set the sport up for success in Connecticut for an extended period of time. Look, as long as you get. You know, UConn being, you know, UConn, UConn and Yale and, and Sacred Heart and the rest, you know, as long as they continue to be competitive, I think it's great. I, I really, really do. I, 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 have, I, I see nothing but good things for hockey in the state of Connecticut. Yeah. And they, they've experimented with tournaments, you know, with all four playing on the same weekend. Yep. Um, and they're, they're kind of moving that around the colleges, which I think helps. Um, I would love to see. I would love to see a beanpot style tournament. Yeah, they have done it the last couple years. Yeah, yeah, they've done it the last couple years. It's it's going to take time to grow it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the yeah. beanpot didn't happen overnight, obviously. Yep. Yeah. Um, and I think I think maybe the the first one I remember 
I know from the Yale fans and stuff, it was like people expected to walk into the bean pot. You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah. you know, give yeah. these give these teams a chance, you know, to build yeah. because Yale and Quinnipiac have a rivalry, but other than that, the the four teams don't necessarily yeah. you know, Sacred Hearts in the um in the Atlantic, you know, uh UConn is in hockey east. So it's three different conferences for four teams. Yeah. So, yeah. But I I, th- I think that would be the kind of thing where if they could you know, you could pack the XL Center yeah, with 10,000 people. It. You know, yeah. it's just, it would be it would be fantastic. I think it's huge. All right. The sportscaster here with Christopher Price. His book is called Bleeding Green, A History of the Hartford Whalers. And it takes you all the way back to the pre-NHL days and through the NHL period and then uh, into the future. You can, of course, read his work at the Boston Globe. He's been a, a New England man his pretty much his whole life. Northeastern mm-hmm. guy, right? Were you a big hockey fan in, in Northeastern? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Did they exactly. win the bean pot while you were there? They won the bean pot. They won the bean pot once when I was there my freshman year, and I thought for I, I was convinced because they won the freshman. They're going to win all year. four. Gonna, yeah. Oh, they're, yeah, they're going to win it all four. They're going to win a bunch. You know, they're they're going to be in the bean pot finals every year. There's going to be bean pots every single year. Well, you know, they didn't win another one for another twenty plus years. So right. it was just like. All right, fine, whatever. But yeah, it was a cow. It was part of you know. It, it's it's part of your weekend. You know, yeah. in Northeastern, you know, go to Matthews Arena, watch you know, watch the Huskies. Yeah, my when my brother was in the USHL, uh, his goalie was Clay Witt, who ended up going there. And, oh yeah, and uh, Clay was really really big on trying to get other guys to go there. So my brother went to a visit there, mm-hmm. and really liked it. And you know. Uh, in the end, he just had a chance to go to Yale. You know, I you know I don't know. He went to BC, Michigan State, yeah, um, Northeastern. It's a wild time to be in that position, especially because we're just regular people from Buffalo. You know, but yeah, um, but well, well, I'll say this, man. As a Northeastern guy, I I would never begrudge someone the opportunity to go to an Ivy League school as opposed yeah. to Northeastern. And he so loved, he did love Northeastern too. So yeah. I I would probably say that that's probably where he would have went, um, if not for Yale. Uh, Lay it all out. Where can people find it? Uh, where can people buy it? Where can people find you? What What are the best um, plugs you want to throw in for the book? You can You can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's one of I don't I didn't I haven't checked today, but I know in the past it's been one of the top ten uh, hockey books on Amazon. We were at number one for a long, long time. Oh yeah. Um, that's that. That's probably your best bet. Your easiest way to get it. Um, if you're at a bookstore around New England, particularly at a bookstore in Connecticut, you know I I know that a lot of bookstores. Um, are carrying it, and so I'm, I'm fingers crossed. I'll be able to set up some some signings sooner rather than later. You can read my work on a regular basis at Boston Globe and BostonGlobe.com, um, and you can also follow me on Twitter if that's still around. <laughs> that <laughs> seems like it will be. I mean, yeah. that guy's not going to pay forty four billion dollars for something and then just like shut it off in a month. It exactly. seems a little ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Well, as as long as as long as it still exists, I'm on Twitter at yeah. C Price Globe. That C Price Globe. C Price Globe. A couple real, real quick hitters. Uh, how good are the Bruins this year? You think? I think the Bruins. The Bruins are fantastic. I, I, you know what? It's funny. The other day, I was getting. I'm, I'm getting real strong. 2018 Red Sox kind of vibes, where yeah. it's where they're you know, they're so strong out of the game. You're like, okay, well, you know, they're going to falter sometime, and they just right? Never do. But yeah. they, and they, they they haven't so far. They're winning. They're you know they're winning blowouts. They're winning tight games. They're getting great goaltending. It's just everything is really coming together for them in a year where. I don't think anyone had any real level of expectation, you know, but between the, you know, the early injuries and the coach and, you know, it, it's, it, they're, they're having a phenomenal season. So, so knock wood, you know, things, they can keep things rolling. As a lifetime saints fan, I am. 
and people get hurt and just never come back. I'm in awe yeah. of the Bruins training staff, the way that they got uh, Marshawn and McAvoy back as quick as they did. So yeah, exactly, ha- hats yeah. off to them. Uh, how good are the Patriots, you think? Can they be a playoff team? I think that they need to have everything break perfectly for them over the second half here. Uh, and I don't know if that's entirely possible. My initial prognostication was 10 wins. Um, but they need to be able to continue to advance. They need to, to, they need to get a playoff win, you know, sooner rather than later in the next couple of years, you know, if they want to keep moving forward, you know? So I think last year was great. And I think it was on on some level unexpected that Mac Jones did what he did, but I think Mac has had a couple of setbacks this year. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how he handles some more pressure down the stretch this season. And, you know, if, if they can make it work, if they can make a postseason bid work. Well, yeah, that was one of the last things I was going to ask you. Is, do you think Mac Jones is more the guy we thought he was last year or the guy that we've seen this year? I think he's a little more last year than okay. this year in his best moments. Um, but I, I, I think that they I, – I just I, – he just seems to be missing something. You know, he just seems to be missing a piece, whether it's another guy around him or – you know, a, a healthy offensive line or whatever the case may be. He's not at a stage in his career where he can quite win games for you just yet. And, and a real weapon outside, too. You know what I yeah, mean? Like a real yeah. dynamic wide receiver. It seems like they haven't yeah. had one I, since Moss. I'll say this. I mean, yeah, and De- Devontae Parker's played really well this year, you know, in, in spurts. But yeah. Um, yeah, but you're looking for more consistency from him. But, you mm-hmm. know, he should, he's, he should be a guy who can start to win games for you as opposed to not lose games for you. And, and I, I wonder when we're going to hit that point with him. All right. The book is called Bleeding Green, A History of the Hartford Whalers. It's by Christopher Price. Do you have any questions for me? No, I'm, okay. this is great, man. I love, I, I not only love talking, you know, about the book, but I love talking about the history of Hartford hockey. Yes. It's, 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 it's a blast. It's it really very fun. Is. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, man, you asked me some questions that I have not been asked before that are really, really good ones. There's you know, great so stuff I, in here. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I really appreciate that. There's really great stuff in here. And I there's some stories in here I didn't want to give up. I was kind of dancing around them. But <laughs> people are going to love to. Re- when you think of the things that I mentioned that remind me of the Whalers, it's in here. You know, you want to yep. know more about Brass Bonanza, it's in there. You know, you want to know more about the mall, it's in there. You want to know more about Pat Verbeek, it's in there. You want to know more about Adam Burt, like for some reason I did because I'm demented. <laughs> That's in there, too. So uh, I definitely recommend it. Again, it's called Bleeding Green. All right, very, very, very last thing. Do you think there's ever an NHL team in Connecticut again? I think it's an awful long shot, and yeah. I, I think it starts I think it starts with them building a new building. I don't think the XL Center could support it, and I don't know if anyone financially could support that right now. I think the, the one takeaway that I, I'll leave you with uh, on that point is I talked to people in Seattle about – how do you go about trying to get your team back? Yeah, and the guy is, said, yeah. and I talked to the sports radio guy in Seattle, and he said, look, always keep fighting. Always keep fighting because you never know when there's a billionaire hedge fund owner around the corner who loves the Whalers, who grew up as a Whalers fan and wants to bring, you know, a hockey back to Hartford, professional hockey back to Hartford. So yeah, stay in the fight. Yeah, I think it's a long shot right now, but you never, never know. Awesome. Well, thank you for the time. I appreciate it and love the book. Thanks for allowing me a chance to read it and promote it with you. Oh, no worries, man. No worries. My pleasure.
I'd like to thank Christopher Price, and I'd like to thank Greg Wachinski for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear this episode and all episodes of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash sports-casters. You can also email me, thesportscasters at gmail.com, or follow me on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Want to give a quick shout out to my buddies from the Chicago area, Greg and Zach. Uh, still working hard on what might be their entry into the podcast space or some other area of sports media. Love those dudes, always encouraging them. They're kind of my guys, uh, and I'm sure they're disappointed about the uh, shoulder injury uh, to Justin Fields and a disappointing Bears season. Uh, of course, I can feel their pain. Uh, don't forget about the 24-inch podcast at 24-inch podcast on Twitter at 24-inch podcast at gmail.com. Uh, we have a new episode about Survivor Series 1991 and this Tuesday in Texas that should come this week as well, uh, depending on Dave's schedule. He's had a rough couple weeks uh, that just keep getting rougher. But you can find all episodes of the 24-inch podcast where you find the episodes of this show. Uh, at GF Allentown Pod for my buddy Peter Winson and the greetings from Allentown Podcast. Uh, follow him there. And... Um, Let's see, is there anything else? Uh, you can follow my buddy at Adrian Dater, at A Dater on Twitter if you're into the Colorado Avalanche. Shout out to Bill McGrath, Fred Cass, everyone who listens to this podcast. I'm thankful for you all, and uh, I'm excited to let you hear this. So I mentioned it earlier. Paula has an elf on the shelf. The elf on the shelf's name is Matilda. She spent a night in the podcast room the other day, and because she was watching us, Paul and I recorded what we call Daddy Daughter Podcasts. We often do these when Paula just wants to talk. Uh, we're encouraging her to do the Paula Pod, which she's going to do as her time kind of uh, opens up a little bit as the winter comes here. Uh, but this is something we usually do privately, and we'll listen to them or share them with our parent, my parents or Tammy's parents or whatever. But I thought that this would be cool to, um, in the spirit of Thanksgiving and the start of the holiday season, uh, to as opposed to one last thing today. Uh, to share that. So with that said, ladies and gentlemen, the Daddy-Daughter Pod. And we'll see you next week or the week after that soon for another episode of The Sportscasters. The Daddy and Paula Pod. <laughs> the only thing we got to make sure is that we got Paula on mic. I'll try my best. Okay, why are we doing this special edition of the Daddy Daughter Pod tonight? Because our elf is watching me. Yeah, our elf Matilda came to town the day after Thanksgiving like she always does. And after spending her first night on her Christmas tree, which is usually where she spends her first night, she moved into the office and sat right across from where Paula's seat is in the podcast room, kind of saying without saying, I want to see how your podcast skills are. Because we know she wrote in the letter that yeah. she listens to the 24-inch podcast, right? 
why making toys. Wow. <laughs> That's what they listen to when they're getting their toy making on. <laughs> Tell the listeners what else the elf has been up to this off season that we found at Walmart. She made her own cereal, and yesterday she spilled it. <laughs> she spilled her cereal all over our living room, <laughs> trying to eat it. She got a bowl out, and she had some cereal in the bowl, which was in the tree with her, and then half the cereal was on the ground with the box open. <laughs> that was crazy. What else did Matilda say in her note to you, Paula? She said that I need to work on cleaning my room up. Keep your room clean. What else? She didn't really say what she was look, looking for, so I guess she didn't really say what she was looking for. She just said, clean my room. So mm-hmm. what else she said was, I think, uh, can I get the note really quick? Yeah, go get the note. So Paula's going to get the note real quick, and then I guess I can read it, and we can kind of go over what it said. But Paula's elf Matilda. She's been coming every year since Paula was a baby. She keeps an eye on Paula. She actually knows a friend of ours named Perfecto. And uh, Perfecto communicates with her for us when we need to. And basically what Matilda does is she comes back and forth from the North Pole to Buffalo every day. And she gives Santa Claus messages. She brings stuff back. Sometimes Mrs. Claus sends sends something. Sometimes Santa has a note. But she's kind of our, our conduit from Buffalo to North Pole. Yeah. Like, Mrs. Claus kind of loves me because every year it feels like she gives me a calendar or something. Right. All right, you want me to read this to the listeners real quick? It says, Hi, Paula. I'm glad to be back this year. Santa's been busy working on the naughty and the nice list, and I heard you are on the nice list. That's good news. Yeah. I could not believe how brave you were when you got to get your ears pierced. Tell the listeners about it. Uh, I. So my friend got my ear pierced the day before me. But Livy. Vivi. Vivi, right. So she got a pierced. Bef- we didn't do it together. So my mom thought, oh, we have a half day, this booker. We went to the play called Cowpoke. <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. And they literally professional did my ears. And I can switch the top part whenever I want. Awesome. Uh, they look beautiful. Also, you're such a good cheerleader and dancer. I was so happy about the wonderful news I heard about your school report because Paula got her yes. report card. I There were no elves. No. Orbeez? No. She did really good. I got A's. Yeah. I was proud to tell my elf friends how my Paula is working so hard in school and such a sweetheart to her friends. I love being able to brag about you to my fellow elves. <laughs> Please make sure you're keeping your room clean. That's something Paula has to work on. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I was nervous about flying in there and getting hurt in that messy place. Is it really that messy? Our friend Perfecto says it's filth. Really? He said that right now? Not, I mean, that's what he said in the past, right? Yeah. That's the word he uses, filth. He says well, he can't do his show on filth. Now, yeah. Um, us elves are really enjoying listening to the 24-inch podcast where we're busy working on making all of the toys. Love, Matilda. That's our underpay captain, so we might not watch. <laughs> that's a really nice note. So what are you, Paula, most excited for during elf season? Like, what do you want Matilda to bring? What do you want Matilda to see? What do you want her to tell Santa? Like, what are you hoping for? I want Matilda to bring... Uh, I want her to... Um, 
Well, sure. you like calendars, right? Yes, I will. But this is something that nobody should know, but it's a secret. Okay. I want a bluey out for baby so badly. <laughs> okay, the what? The bluey what? The bluey house for the babies. Oh, the bluey house for the babies. Yeah. Not for like the baby babies, like the three-year-olds, the big one. Okay. I know it's kind of funny, but I like boy. Okay, not bad. Okay, someone in my class also likes it. What else? Uh, I'm excited because Matilda is always so funny. <laughs> she, last year on one of the Saint games, she did she literally got me water, and she got us chips in the Saints bowl. Yeah, so we're going to see if she's going to watch the Saints tomorrow. We're, we're thinking she probably will. Yeah. And Uncle... Uh, Uncle Anthony, your Uncle Anthony's coming to watch? Uh-huh. So you're excited about that? Should be a pretty good day tomorrow. Yeah. All right, should we wrap it up? Any last words? Anything else you want to mention? This podcast is dedicated to our elf Matilda. So I would say, um, Matilda mm-hmm. is very. What's the word? What's the word? Nutty. Nutty. Yeah. Magical. Magical. Nutty. She's a- She's really nutty like me. Yeah. So that's good. You guys are a good but pair. The bad, there's a little funny thing. Okay. But the person they're probably know about. I no, it's not a funny thing. Okay. I'll figure it out. So, do my listeners know that I wasn't sleeping when I was a baby in five? Probably yeah. Well, now I sleep, so Matilda can come. Yeah. It's Santa. Yeah. <laughs> Works out pretty good. All right, we are going to sign off now, but we'll come back later this month to give you an update on what Matilda's been up to. Maybe we can update the listeners here and there. All right, from 1420 Welk Road, North Tonawanda, I'm Steve. I'm Paula. And we are out.